But he chose the name Emmanuel, God with us. Now there's a number of interesting things in this choice. One of them is it says God. That is God's personal name, God's personal identifier. Nick over here has a personal identifier, Nick. Now I could say, uh, you know, somebody might say, well, who are you talking to? I might say, oh, the former pastor. That's his function. But it's much nicer if I say, oh, I was talking to Nick. Nick, the preacher, the psychotherapist, the maybe, I'll make the rest of it up, okay? The basketball coach, the whatever else. <laughs> all of those things contained in the name Nick. So if I say I was talking to Nick, that's much broader and it includes all those things that are part of who Nick is. And so God chose to say who's coming? God. God with all of these things. He could have said Jehovah Rapha or something like that, which is a function. But he said God. God the person will be. And what else does he say? He says with us. He could have said God is coming to planet earth. Or he could have said God is coming to strengthen the church. But that's not what he says. He says the really important thing about this event is that God the person is coming to be with you. To have relationship. That is the important thing. God is coming to have relationship. That's the big message. Have you ever met somebody that was important or powerful or famous? I remember when I was a young professor at the university and the president came in. I was sitting at the back of the room and he sat right beside me. And he reached over and said, Hi, I'm Doug Wright. As if I didn't know. But I was, I have to say, I had a giddy reaction inside. I had to sort of manage myself. I was feeling so nervous and uncomfortable that here was the president of the university. I was just this young twerp that had just arrived from someplace else and I didn't know anything I was doing hardly at the time. And here this important person comes and sits beside me. And you know, some people have that reaction to God too. Okay. A few years later... We had a different president, and he came in, and he sat beside me, and he reached his hand over, and that's why I chose this picture to represent him, David Johnson. And he reached over, and he shook his hand, and I was so glad that he reached over and shook my hand. I was in a different place. He was another president. He was the president of the university. But I had moved into a different place, and so I was in a place where I could have relationship with him. And so, God with us, that's only half of the story. God is willing to be with us, but we have to be in the right place, a place where we can respond to him and say, yes, I want this. Yes, here's my hand. I want us to have this relationship so how would you respond if you had a chance to meet God? Are you in a spot where you're ready to say, yes, I want that to happen? Now, 
I want to develop this idea of God with us. And the Old Testament gives us a whole bunch of clues as to what that might look like. And I just want to quickly go through a survey of some examples of what it was like when God was with different people over history. So here's the first example. You have to start with Adam and Eve. Because it says, or the implication is, that God walked with them in the garden, that this was a regular thing. Back when we lived in Winnipeg, and my wife Heather and I, we would often go for a walk in the evening and talk about this and that, and we'd walk down the same street 57 (laughs) times, just again and again over the down the same street. But it was about us talking to each other. It wasn't necessarily about the houses that we passed. And so this was one of the ways that God interacts with His people: is He walked in the garden with them. But then, as you know, something went wrong. Adam and Eve did the one thing, the only thing that God told them not to do, which was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that one thing, then suddenly they were not righteous before God. They couldn't stand before him. In fact, when God came walking in the garden, they hid because they knew that they were naked. And so this relationship with God was disrupted. And sin has stood in the way ever since. When we were on holidays a couple weeks ago, I heard a pastor say, you know, sin is kind of like this. And and I'm going to say say to you, it's not that we rob banks. That's not the, well, for most of us at least, I hope that's not the problem, okay? It's something much more subtle or insidious than that. He said, suppose you're preparing for Christmas dinner, and so you, you buy the turkey, and then you... You realize that there's some juice on the outside and you know, you know that that's got salmonella in it. And if you eat that, you're going to get sick. And so you start to try and unwrap the thing and then you get some of this juice on your hands. and think, I'm going to wash my hands. So you touch the faucet and then the salmonella is on the faucet. And you, oh, I'm going to get a rag and, oh, and then it's on the rag. And that, okay, that's what sin is like. It's not purposeful. It's insidious. And it's there. And so that nature of sin has continued in us and has continued to potentially interfere with this relationship. But God provided some solutions. And the solution He has provided has developed with time. Just like science develops with time. It's a natural thing. And so God's solution developed with time. And God spoke to a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham started listening to God. And he believed what God said. God said to him, I want you to go from the place you are to a place I'm going to show you. And so he had to fold up his tent and collect all of his people together and get all his sheep and his camels and all this other stuff. It was quite a lot of trouble. And start moving. But he did something that showed that he believed, not just in his head, but in his heart. He really believed what God was saying. And because of that, God said, because you believed what I said, I'm going to count that as righteousness. That's enough that we can be in a right relationship again and have a relationship one with the other. Abraham heard God's voice. And he was even willing to sacrifice his son. And I want to take just a minute and talk about what that might look like. 
It says that Abraham went with Isaac and his servants up to Mount Moriah, and then he says he left his servants behind. And I want to make this a little bit more practical, and I'm not going to ask anybody to come up, but Brandon, do you mind if I use your name? I didn't get a chance to ask you in advance. I want you to imagine that that Brandon over here, our football player, is Isaac, and and Mr. Reverend Whitaker over here, one of our seniors, is Abraham. And so they went further up the mountain. Now, somehow, God has spoken to Abraham and said to him, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, I want you to picture what this is going to look like. I can't see Abraham jumping on his son and wrapping him up. That's not how it happened. Somehow... Isaac knew about this God that Abraham was following. And he had watched his dad trust God from day to day to day. And so, as, as Abraham looks at his son, his son asks, well, where's the sacrifice? They start this conversation and Abraham says, you know, that God that I've been following, he's asked me to do something really difficult. And he says, I want, God's telling me that I need to sacrifice you. I don't understand this. I don't get this. I, and, uh, I, you can see this, the tears I'm crying, son. I, I, I don't want to do this. And somehow, Isaac is willing to say, you know, I'm willing to do this for you. I don't understand this. I don't know how this is all coming down. But you're trusting God and I'm learning to trust God and we're going to do this together. That's I think how that story came down. And so God worked with them. God taught them. God instructed them. God enabled them to do things that they wouldn't be able to do in the natural. And just in case you don't know the rest of the story, God said, stop. I don't want you to actually take his life. This was a test. And God provided a ram in the thicket so that they could finish Offering, making a sacrifice to God. Again, there is so many lovely stories here about God's interaction, about God with Abraham and God with Isaac. But I just wanted you to see some of the clues here. Then we get to Moses. And Moses had this place where he went. It was called the Tent of Meeting, and it was just outside of the camp. And he would go there and God would speak to him as someone speaks to a friend. And there he recorded the law. And the law was very important because it explained to a whole nation how they could have righteous standing with God. What was the things, what were the things that they needed to do? And so God, and so Moses wrote these things out in a lot of detail. And for Thousands, for almost a thousand years, that's what the Jewish people followed. That was the way that they could have a relationship with God. One day, God came, okay, and so God led those people with a cloud and a pillar, and that was their interaction. That was sort of God with them, was just this pillar and this cloud that showed them where to go. And then one day, God came down and said, I want to talk to the people. And so they were at the base of the mountain. And there was thunder and there was lightning and there was all this stuff going on. And God offered to talk to the people and they said, you you, you know what, Moses, you go and talk to them. We're not ready. 
Okay, like when I was the young guy and the president came, they, they weren't ready. They weren't in a place in their hearts where they were open and willing to talk to God themselves. And so they said, you know, Moses, you go talk to him and you let us know what he says. Yeah, they shied away from God. But there was one young man, and his name was Joshua. And there you see his Hebrew name. You'll see that name again. And his name means salvation. And he would go to the tent of meeting with with Moses. And even after Moses left the tent of meeting, Joshua would stay there. And so Joshua was in around God's presence, and he learned who God was. And then when it was time for a replacement for Moses, of a successive leader, God chose Joshua. Then, a little bit later, we have David, who wrote the famous psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here's this young man sitting up on the hillside, looking after the sheep, keeping an eye out for, for wolves and whatever else might be there. And he was talking to the Lord, and he was developing this relationship. And so God was with him there. In fact, he came to understand God so well that he was able to prophesy some things about Jesus. David wanted a more permanent place to worship God, and he paved the way for the temple where God would dwell in the Holy of Holies. Then we see Isaiah, and and it says in the New Testament that he saw Jesus' glory, and he was able to write about him. So 800 years before Jesus came, think back 800 years from today. That would be in the middle of the Middle Ages. Imagine somebody then predicting something very significant and in great detail describing what was going to happen today. That's the kind of time gap that was there. But Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and wrote about him. And then, and then everything changed. There was a structural change when a baby was born. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, I'm sure a lot of people were saying, God, wouldn't you hurry up and get on with this? We really need something better than this. And, and God says, when the fullness of time had come, when the time was right, when God knew that it was right, then he brought about this structural change. It says, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. A structural change. And, and, and Matthew records, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. So this name Jesus is very important. It means something. It comes from the name Joshua. Now, some people today even refer to Jesus as Yeshua. Now, if I say that word and I change the emphasis on the syllables... Instead of saying Yeshua, if I say Yeshua, Joshua, Yeshua, do you see the connection there? All right. So today, people pronounce it as Yeshua, and that ultimately led to the name Jesus. And all of those names mean salvation, or to rescue, to deliver. Or some people say uh, Yahweh is salvation. But again, it's this idea of salvation. Or the name Emmanuel, 
God with us. Again, these are identifying who this special child is going to be. He's going to be a Savior. He's going to be the person who is with us. When John was writing and trying to figure out, how do I describe this person Jesus before he came to earth? I need a name. I need a a, a, a title for him. And so he decided to call him the Word, the Logos. The Word, or if you like, the message. What is the message? What is the thing he's going to say? What What is he about? And it says, And when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It was a new day. And I really love this passage in 1 John. I had to put this in here today as well. It says, you see, when God came with us, when God was with us, He wasn't with us in some abstract way. He didn't Skype in once in a while to talk to us. He was here. And John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our own ears, which we have seen, I'm adding a few words, with our own eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. They could go to court. They could testify. We saw it with our own eyes. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. This relationship is with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So this relationship that this makes possible is not just person to person, but us with God. And even after Jesus was here and with His disciples for almost three years, one of them sticks his hand up and says, could you show us what God is like? We'd really like to know. We think you, you, you know, we know that you're with him and you're listening to him and you're doing what he tells you to do, but could you show us what he's actually like? We'd really like to know. And Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so Jesus, again, is emphasizing this God with us, God in a form of a person. So what is God like? If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. So if you've seen what Jesus is doing, you've seen what God is doing. Jesus is healing the sick. He's setting the captives free. Think of the, uh, the Gadarene demoniac. He's forgiving people. I imagine he had to forgive his disciples every, every day of the week. They're doing all kinds of stuff. He had to forgive. Very real, tangible, in-your-hands stuff. He was loving people. There was a woman caught in adultery. And he could have just, he he had a busy day. He could have just kept going. But he didn't. He stopped. And he engaged with those guys that had stones in their hand. A couple weeks before, they were ready to point those stones at Jesus. Do you remember? He's taking a risk here. But he loves this woman. He has no idea who she is. But he sees her situation and he loves. And so that's what God is like. God loves just like Jesus loves. Jesus reaches out to the disenfranchised. There was a man who had a very successful business collecting taxes. 
he happened to be small in stature. And so when this famous guy, Jesus, came by, he thought, you know, wouldn't it be fun to get a selfie with this guy or at least see him walk by, right? And so Jesus is walking by and Jesus notices him up in the tree. Imagine that. Businessman in a tree. That should be the title of that section of the Bible. Businessman in a tree. <laughs> and Jesus reaches out to him and says, I'm coming to your house. I, we, we're, we've got to talk about something. That's what God is doing. God is reaching out to disenfranchised people. Not only that, but he coaches those who follow him. That's pretty cool. And so all of these things give us important clues about how God wants to relate to us. God with us. God's reaching out his hand to you. What does he want this relationship to look like? And I should just point out that these things are so different from other religions. I have friends who follow other things. This is so unique, so distinctive. God wants to relate to us as one person relates to another. You hear these stories of Jesus interacting with Peter and all the disciples and all the people and the people in the market. God wants to relate to us as one person relates to another. He wants us to be able to be in his presence. And again, you see it, you get a little bit of a sense of this from the tent of meeting, from the Holy of Holies. He wants us to relate to him as a God that we can know has experienced what it is really like to be human. As a God who loves unconditionally. He wants us to relate to Him as a God who talks with us and helps us in our troubles. He wants, us to relate, he wants to relate to us as a God in all of the best ways that He related to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to Moses, to David and the prophets, and to the others whose stories are recorded in the Old and New Testaments. That's how He God with us wants to relate to us. Now, this relationship is only possible because Jesus did something else. He did two other really important things I want to highlight here. He came and he gave his life as a sacrifice. He was crucified on the cross. And he, because he lived a sinless life, he could give his life in your place. Isn't that remarkable? He could give his life in your place so that you could be righteous before God. So you wouldn't stand before God and feel naked and just feel and shy away. If Jesus hadn't forgiven your sins, you wouldn't be able to stand before God and have this kind of a relationship. It says, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. And so this replaces, fulfills the old covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant, that is the law. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become our righteousness. I'm not righteous in myself, but Jesus clothes me in righteousness. He covers me with His righteousness so I can stand before God and I can talk to God and I can have this relationship with Him. I can experience His presence. 
For, and we can be confident in this because God understands, it says, for we have a high priest, that is Jesus, who we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. He knows what this is all about. And not only that, so Jesus came and he showed us what the Father is like. And when he lived his, by living his life, he showed us what God is like. And when he died, he paid for our sins so that, so that we can personally have a relationship with God under brand new conditions from the old, from the old covenant. And then he had a plan when he left. When he left, he said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. God with us. It's because of these things that Jesus did. It's because of this structural change in everything that God could write this. John wrote this under God's direction. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We can still experience God with us. And we can do that as we engage the stories of Jesus and we understand what they mean. What were these relationships that Jesus had with the people around him? And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can develop a personal relationship with him. Some of you may have seen this picture in the news feed. It came out a few days ago. Former President Obama went to a children's hospital and so this little child had lots of options. Here comes this famous guy walking into her hospital room. She could shy away from them. She could pull the covers over her head. At times that's what I would have done. <laughs> but you know what she did? She said, I'm glad you came. Oh, could I get a selfie with you? So God comes to us. He makes this offer. He says, I want to be with you. What do you say? And some people are too busy. Some feel they're not good enough for God to talk to them. Some people think, you know, I've got it all figured out. I don't need God. But God comes into your hospital room where you have all these troubles and sins and all these problems. He comes into your room and he says, so what do you say? And he gives you the chance to be in relationship with him. Take a selfie if you like. He wants to be there with you. God's invitation for you to personally experience God with us is still open. 
If you haven't had that experience yourself, I encourage you to find someone who has and have a talk with them. And so as we wrap up our Christmas Sunday, may the Lord be with you. May he bless you and keep you. May his countenance be upon you and may you experience his peace. And as you talk to your friends and your neighbors and your family, may the story of Jesus bring you hope and light and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.